Hello everyone, this is Peter Klein, and this is We Had No Idea. We come to you from Okinsis, and we acknowledge that we get the privilege of living and producing this show on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Sutsina Nations, the Iahe Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the treaty region of Southern Alberta. You can find out what native lands you're on by looking at native-land.com. CA. So it's a bonus episode for you today. It is Pride Month, um, and we have done a couple Pride-themed shows in our uh, show's history, and so we're going to be replaying those uh, throughout the, the next couple of weeks, and we're going to start today with Stonewall, um, one that I, I didn't necessarily know a whole lot about going into it, but very happy to have learned as much as we did from this episode. So, um, we're hoping to have uh, a little bit more coming later this week, uh, but for now, enjoy uh, as we go back and learn a whole lot about a very important moment, and that is Stonewall. Carson. And I'm Peter Klein. And this is We Had No Idea. Episode 12. 12. Oh, I almost got it wrong this time. I was going to be like, no, it's 11. Oh. Whoa. You would have been wrong. I would have been wrong. <laughs> we come to you from Okinsis, and we acknowledge that we get the privilege of living and producing this show on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Tsutsuna the Iahe Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. Our sources for the podcast today, Reader's Digest's website of rd.com, history.com, stonewall.org.uk, the Making Gay History podcast, and cnn.com. Thank you for downloading, and I would assume at this point listening to the podcast. <laughs> um... <laughs> Please, that be weird? <laughs> yeah, please rate, review, subscribe. Yeah, we just want the land acknowledgement, and now we're out. Um, yeah. Please rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. If you want to get a hold of the show, it is on Instagram at We Had No Idea Podcast. You can email us, We Had No Idea Podcast at gmail.com. Got a listener request that we will be taking into consideration for a little bit later on this yeah. month. So, yes, get in touch with the show that way. And today we are going to be talking about Stonewall. So happy Pride Month. Yes. Woohoo. Yeah. I actually looked it up because I was like, oh, I want to make sure that this is actually Pride Month before we're like, happy Pride. Mm -hmm. um, it turns out that there's actually a few Pride Months. Okay. But, I know, think this is a, a widely recognized one. I and think we will so too. very much get into that today. And but uh, just a, a quick aside, we, we talked about it a little bit last week. But if you follow anyone from RuPaul's Drag, Ra uh, Drag Race, you are well aware that this is the start yeah. of, uh, of Pride Month. And that's been really cool to see uh, people already just getting out and celebrating. So good on you. Totally. I'm not, you know, there can never be too little Pride Month. No, no, exactly. So. Yes. No, I, I, I am with you 100% on that one. So I suppose we should just get into it. Okay. Okay, I can start. <laughs> the uh, What have I just started now? <laughs> yeah. The first document. <laughs> um, just kind of give a, a bit of a, a history lesson before we get into this history lesson, because oh. a, a lot of people assume, like, this was the, the, the start of a movement. We're doing Stonewall today. Again. Yeah. Oh, I we, said it. We, did, did you? 
Okay, either way, like we say it every time, they've downloaded the show, they see. But um, a lot of people consider Stonewall like the the starting point for a lot of the, the, these movements. And while it was a jump start, it was not the official start. As the first documented U.S. gay rights organization was the Society for Human Rights, founded in 1924. Police raids forced them to disband in 1925. Short but jump there. not before they had published several issues of their newsletter, Friendship and Freedom, the country's first gay interest newsletter. America's first lesbian rights organization, the Daughters of Bilitis, was formed in 1955. The 1960s and preceding decades were scary for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender LGBT Americans. And we're going to say LGBT for the purposes of this podcast just because... Um, at the time in 1960 and, and in the Making Gay History podcast and from some things I've listened to and read, um, the, Q, the Q in LGBTQ, uh, Q was a bad word at the time um, and it still kind of makes some of, um, you know, the older activists and people of this era uh, feel... Not safe. So we're going to stick with LGBT for the purposes of this podcast because in 1960, that's what it was. And that, that's what a lot of the, the stories had from that. Um, definitely mm -hmm. not. <laughs> they definitely weren't calling them just LGBT at the time. Mm -hmm. um, don't go back and look at news stories from this point. But in, in no. most of the stories that we read, that's how it was referred to. But yes, a, a, I think a, a good distinction, one that it... it it was that for a very, very long time. And I remember when the, the queue was at it, it's like, well, that it just it, it seems long now and cumbersome. But mm -hmm. it, and now just to say LGBT. I know it feels short. I'm like, where's yeah. the Q plus? Yeah, it feels like something's missing. I would say sometimes on uh, the TikTok algorithm that I am in a lot of the time, <laughs> they say the alphabet mafia. And also for the purposes of this podcast where there is a mafia involved. Right. I feel like I'm on a tangent, but okay. now, so for instance, it was scary uh, for several reasons, but even the solicitation of same-sex relations was illegal in New York City at the time. When you hear solicitation, you think sex workers, and this isn't even that. This is just getting into a same-sex relationship yes. that is illegal in New York City, and that is the climate that we are living in here in the 1960s. And because of this, LGBT in uh, individuals flocked to gay bars and clubs where they could express themselves openly and socialize without worry. Uh, minimal worry. Yeah. However, the New York State Liquor Authority penalized and shut down establishments that served alcohol to known or suspected LGBT individuals, arguing, uh, arguing that the mere gathering of homosexuals was, quote, disorderly. In 1966, three years before Stonewall, members of the Mattachine Society, an organization dedicated to gay rights, staged a, quote, sip-in, where they openly declared their sexuality at taverns, daring staff to turn them away, and suing establishments who did. When the Commission of Human Rights ruled that gay individuals had the right to be served in bars, police raids were temporarily Reduced. Temporarily reduced. Yes. What a nice way of saying that they didn't stop. No, exactly. And that is uh, part of the reason why we are here today. Mm -hmm. So um, thanks to activist efforts, LGBT patrons could now be served alcohol in 1966. But engaging in gay behavior in public, uh, holding hands, kissing, any form of PDA was still illegal. So police harassment of gay bars continued and many bars still operated without liquor licenses, in part because they were owned by... 
the mafia. Yeah, this was, uh, again, when we talk about moments where we had no idea, literally no idea about this one. a turn. Yeah. The Genovese family, one of the so-called five families that dominated organized crime in New York City, controlled Manhattan's west side bar scene, including the village, which was Greenwich Village, where the LGBT community was taking root. This crime syndicate saw profit in catering to the shunned gay clientele, and by the mid-1960s, they controlled most of Greenwich Village gay bars. A member of the family, Tony Loria, also known as, and this is too awesome not to be true, Fat Tony bought the Stonewall Inn in 1966 and transformed it into a gay bar and nightclub. You so, come into my gay bar <laughs> and you want to be gay. Right. Well, okay, you're a paying customer. <laughs> Stonewall Inn was registered as a type of private, quote, bottle bar, which did not require a liquor license because patrons were supposed to bring their own liquor. The family bribed New York's 6th police precinct to ignore the activities occurring within the club. Stonewall reportedly paid $1,200 a month to police to be tipped off whenever there were raids happening so they could hide booze and kick out anyone underage. It didn't have a liquor license, so in saying this, Stonewall and the patrons were used to raids, sometimes multiple a night by officials. Not that the police didn't still raid the LGBT establishments, but first they would tip off the owners who told them the best time to come by. Raids often occurred in the early afternoon when there was only a few people there, so businesses had time to resume normal operations by that night. In his book, Stonewall, The Riots That Sparked the Gay Revolution, David Carter explained that during a typical raid, bar owners would change the lights from blue to white, warning customers to stop dancing and drinking. Without police interference, the crime family could cut costs how they see fit. Stonewall itself lacked a fire exit. It had no running water behind the bar to wash glasses. Uh, there were dirty toilets that often overflowed, and the drinks were watered down, even though they didn't have running water. But anyways, <laughs> beyond recognition. What's more, the mafia reportedly blackmailed the club's wealthier patrons who wanted to keep their sexuality a secret. So... While they are getting a place to essentially hide, uh, Mafia still go and do Mafia shit. And it, it yeah. seems like they were definitely taking advantage of this situation whenever they could. Yes. It's, it's just business, baby. Yeah. Uh, but even with all of that going on, Stonewall quickly became an important Greenwich Village institution. It was large and relatively cheap to enter. It also welcomed drag queens who received a bitter reception at other gay bars and clubs. It was a nightly home for many runaways and homeless gay youths who panhandled or shot uplifted to afford the entry fee and it was one of the few if not only gay bars that allowed dancing in doing research for this show mm -hmm. it looks like there is kind of like a park that was across the road from the stonewall inn okay um and may maybe not directly across the road but it was like in the general vicinity like it sounds like you could see stonewall from this park mm. um and a lot of those homeless gay youths uh that and and the runaways that were partying here and you know trying to find themselves here uh they actually lived in that park that's one of the reasons that stonewall became so popular was because it, it was just proximity oh interesting yeah so hmm. the park was like their home and stonewall was their second home hmm. yeah 
sad on several fronts. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I definitely an interesting tidbit, but right. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> not the most positive one. <laughs> On the Tuesday before the riots began, police conducted an evening raid on Stonewall, arresting some of its employees and confiscating its illegal liquor. A liquor liquor. A liquor liquor. Which, again, would be all of it. After the raid, the NYPD planned a second raid for the following Friday, which they hoped would shut down the bar for good. When police raided Stonewall Inn on the morning of June 28th, it came as a surprise. The bar wasn't tipped off this time. So just after midnight, they went in. And Stonewall was packed with patrons. Eight planes close or undercover police officers, six men and two women, entered the bar. Armed with a warrant, police officers entered the club, roughed up patrons, and finding bootlegged alcohol, arrested 13 people, including employees and people violating the state's gender-appropriate clothing statute. Female officers would take suspected cross-dressing patrons into the bathroom to check their sex, which is just Oh, gross. Like, yeah. that, that's a thing that is happening to these people. Like, it just... Yeah. yeah I, I can't... So, There's, all of this, I can't imagine, but, like, that specifically, where you're being hauled away mm-hmm. to see if you're dressing right because of gender-appropriate clothing laws. Like, just yeah. get all the way out of here. There's a lot of fucked up things that happened to people, and especially around this story. Yeah. But it's like, there's something extra fucked up about that. Yeah. Yeah, that one... Uh, I don't know what it was, but that one just like stood out to me as a, oh, fuck all the way off Mm -hmm. with that. Uh, Fed up with the constant police harassment, you think, and social discrimination, see above, uh, angry patrons and neighborhood residents hung around outside the bar, becoming increasingly frustrated as the events unfolded and people were aggressively manhandled. Accounts vary uh, over what exactly kicked off the riots, but according to witnesses, the crowd erupted after police roughed up a woman dressed in masculine attire. Some believe the uh, the woman was lesbian activist Stormy Delavarie, who had complained that her handcuffs were too tight. People started taunting the officers, yelling pigs and copper and throwing pennies at them, followed by bottles, and then someone in the crowd slashed the tires of some of the police vehicles. Marsha P. Johnson is a person of note on this night, and in a 1989 interview said, We were throwing over cars and screaming in the middle of the street because we were so upset because they closed that place. We were just saying no more police brutality, and we had enough of police harassment in the village and other places. Uh, In the podcast Making Gay History, Season 1, Episode 1 is an interview with Sylvia Rivera. I highly recommend you listen to it as well. I mean, their whole podcast is just phenomenally done, but especially the episodes that have to do with Stonewall. Um, But in that episode, Sylvia describes standing with the other patrons, runaways, and everyone who felt safe hanging out in that park across the street. And they were just looking at each other, wondering why they put up with this, why they put up with the raids and being treated like this. So they started... Like Peter said, throwing the pennies, uh, nickels, dimes, quarters as a middle finger to the police and the mafia for coming to collect their payoff. I mean, you love to see it. Not the circumstances, but just like coin, like anything you have. Yeah, anything not bolted down, we're just going to, yes. to throw at you. Yeah. Um, as the squad, uh, squad cars... <laughs> I'm really liking your edits here. Yeah. Elikalik and Squar Cars. Squar Cars. 
Man, the squire car, the see? Squire car, see? Uh, I'm going to leave all that in. That was way better than my Fat Tony impression. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it wasn't hard. As the squad cars mm-hmm. left to drop the prisoners off at the nearby precinct, the growing mob forced the original NYPD raiding party to retreat into Stonewall itself and barricade themselves inside. Uh, once again, on the subject of things that weren't bolted down, or in this case, only partially bolted down, yeah. some riders used a parking meter as a battering ram to break through the door, others threw beer bottles, trash, and other objects, or made impromptu firebombs with bottles, matches, and lighter fluid. Within minutes, a full-blown riot involving hundreds of people began. The police, a few prisoners, and a village voice writer barricaded themselves in the bar, which the mob attempted to set on fire after breaching the barricade repeatedly. Sirens announced the arrival of more police officers as well as squadrons. See that? Squadrons? Yeah. Squire cars of the city's riot police. As the officers marched in formation down Christopher Street, protesters outsmarted them by running away, then circling the short blocks of the village and coming back up behind the officers. Uh, I just have... That's like a, a perfect example of knowing your area. Right. Also, very much underestimating your opposition. Yes. Like, this is an angry mob that, that, that has just taken up a parking meter to use as a battering yeah. ram. And then you show up and they just leave. And you think, oh, well, fix that situation. Yeah, don't like go you, back. You don't think there's going to be any type of retribution from this place that's trying to set a building on fire. Yeah. You're just like, oh, well, they left. So all's well that ends well, I suppose. <laughs> also, just a quick note. Yeah. A synonym for mafia is mob. And there have been a couple of times where I'm like, wait, who tried to set it on fire? The mafia? Oh, right. Angry mob. Oh, different mafia. Oh, I didn't I've, realize that. I, I, I didn't when we were putting all this together. I didn't. And then just now when you said the, the mob attempted to set it on fire, it's like, wait, the mafia? Oh, right. angry Angry okay, mob. mafia is mafia yeah. and mob is yes. riot mob. Right, yeah. I'm, okay. I'm sure everyone else figured that out. <laughs> I I just, you know, needed clarification. Look, I said it and heard it and I didn't. Anyway, sometime at around 4 a.m., things started to settle down. The fire department and a riot squad were ev- uh, eventually able to douse the flames, get those inside of Stonewall and disperse the crowd amazingly and somewhat surprisingly, Mm -hmm. no one died or was critically injured on the first night of rioting, though a few police officers reported injuries, which, I mean, yeah, they had coins thrown at them. Uh, Despite having been torn apart... Is it bad that I'm not upset for them? uh, No, no, you you are. There there is very much a right and wrong in this one. Um, Despite having been torn apart by the cops, the Stonewall Inn opened before dark the next night, although not serving alcohol. Mm -hmm. More and more supporters showed up, chanting slogans like gay power and we shall overcome. The police were again called to restore order, including an even larger group of riot officers who beat and tear-gassed members of the crowd. This continued until the early hours of the morning of the 29th. Uh, over the next several nights, gay activists continued to gather near the stone wall, taking advantage of the moment to spread information and build community that would fuel the growth of the gay rights movement. Though police officers also returned, the mood was less confrontational. I, I mean maybe after the 29th night, was less confrontational with isolated skirmishes replacing the large-scale riots of the weekend. Five days later, in response to the Village Voice's coverage of the riots, which the title on the paper included a homophobic slur, protesters swarmed outside the paper's offices. Some called for burning the building down. When the police pushed back, rioting started again but lasted only a short time. 
The New York Daily News also resorted to homophobic slurs in their coverage, running a headline that included, in part, Queen Bees are stinging mad. Uh, just a self-edit on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, some scholars have argued that the Stonewall riots that sparked this entire movement were as much a resistance against the mob's exploitation of the gay community as they were the struggle against police harassment and discrimination laws. A handwritten message in chalk on a boarded-up window of the Stonewall Inn after the riots read, Gay Prohibition, Corrupt Cops Feed Mafia. And anytime there's an S in there, it's with a dollar sign. And that is something that's kind of important to remember mm-hmm. in, in all of this, is that, like, uh, again, the Mafia opens this place that is a, a historic, now monument, as we'll mm-hmm. get to later, but they were treating these people terribly uh, as well. And there's some stories about bouncers doing not-so-awesome things and, and all of that as well. So th- this was that this was not just standing up to police or, and fighting the power. This was also... Um, standing up to just anyone who had wronged them over the years. Yeah, and while the mafia had opened Stonewall and given these people a place to go, it's not like they were doing them any favors. No, they weren't doing it out of the goodness of their heart. No, no it they was... saw dollar signs, yeah. not people that walked through the door. Yeah, an extremely cheap way of making money. Though the Stonewall Uprising didn't start the gay rights movement, it was a galvanizing force for LGBT political activism leading to numerous gay rights organizations. On the one-year anniversary of the riots on June 28, 1970, thousands of people marched in the streets of Manhattan from the Stonewall Inn to Central Park in what was then called Christopher Street Liberation Day, America's first gay pride parade. The parade's official chant was, Say it loud, gay is proud. Ooh. Inspired by New York's example, activists in other cities, including LA, San Francisco, Boston, and Chicago, organized gay pride celebrations that same year. The frenzy of activism that was born on that first night at Stonewall would eventually fuel gay rights movements in Canada, Britain, France, Germany, Australia, and New Zealand among other countries, becoming a lasting force that would carry on basically until today. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 2016, then-President Barack Obama, love you, designated the site of the riots, Stonewall Inn and the surrounding streets and sidewalks, a national monument in recognition of the area's contribution to gay rights. Uh, In that Making Gay History podcast, which again, go listen to it, it's really good. Uh, On their episode on Stonewall, they discuss what Stonewall means now, what relevancy it still holds, and people who were there the night of or were activists around the time want people to keep showing up. It's not just enough for members of the LGBTQ+. I'm going to go ahead and say it now because we're not in the 1960s anymore. Right. Um, The LGBTQ plus community to advocate for themselves. It was never about that. They've always been doing that. Their existence simply is a protest in our heteronormative world. It's up to everyone else to see these people for for that, for people uh, trying to find themselves, find love, find meaning in this world. And one of the speakers talks about seeing a lesbian on a magazine for the first time. And that makes me want to cry. Like, think about never seeing yourself represented. Mm-hmm. Then layer in some intersectionality and you're really never going to see another human that looks like you. Especially in this time. Right. Like, where it's it's illegal to be you. Yes. Waking it, it up is, is a protest. Yeah, it, it's... 
again, it's not like it's illegal to do any lewd acts or anything. Literally holding hands yeah. is an illegal Looking crime. gay yeah. is a crime. Right. Are you fucked? Yeah. If you look too gay, if nothing else, you're going to get pulled into a bathroom by a plainclothes officer to make sure you're dressing the way you're supposed to be dressing. Mm. And this is something that like, I wouldn't necessarily have thought about. And then we just happened to stumble upon the gay pride parade in Toronto. Oh, yeah. And it, it was the it was the first gay pride parade that I had been to. And you could just see so many people just so happy to be able to express themselves and just be themselves and and feel safe doing it. There's exactly. Something so special about that. Yes. And th- there shouldn't be. Like that that should just be an everyday thing. I mean uh, can't have a parade every day but like that there that that should just be an everyday feeling that you can Mm -hmm. just be yourself and uh, we are in a significantly better spot than we were in the 1960s it's not illegal now but still way too far to go Mm -hmm. with this sort of a thing but uh, any type of movement that has happened in this particular area really started the night of the Stonewall riots. And I'm happy to have learned a lot about this. Uh, this, this is another one. Um, I feel like I've said this a few times in the 12 episodes that we've done this, but th- this is one that I'm really going to do a lot more learning on mm-hmm. as as the days and weeks go along. There's a number of documentaries up uh, about Stonewall, whether it be on Netflix or on Crave or anything like that. And it, it seems like an appropriate time to be doing that. Yeah, and it's even the the people surrounding it, right? Like Marsha P. Johnson has an insanely interesting story and she did so much um, like before and afterwards after Stonewall um, and like her life came to a super tragic end. I think like in the, in the 90s, I want to say 92 or 96, she was like her body was found in the Hudson River mm-hmm. and nobody knows why. Like the, I think that originally... Uh, officers said it was suicide, but anyone who knew her was like, uh, I don't think so. So it's just, I mean, the people surrounding this and, and like we said, like Stonewall was kind of the line in the sand, but people walked everybody up to the line and we've also walked past the line. There's just been so much surrounding it. Like the people that are involved in this mm-hmm. are... it feels cheesy to say inspiring but inspiring like people making pamphlets in their basement because they're like this is the only way i'll get to see me this is the only way that other people will get to get a chance to to find who they are yeah uh marsh p johnson died july 6 1992 by the way 92 yeah okay so that is stonewall Mm -hmm. um so yes this is uh again the the point of this is just to give the basic information on these things this is definitely something to go read up on watch more documentaries on to definitely expand your learning and what better time than uh than pride month yeah 